Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Amen. Y'all doing all right? Yeah, it's good to see all you guys here today. Listen, for the past several years, I've, I've tried my best to just kind of position myself between, uh, you know, Christmas and New Year's, really just to hear from God. And uh, the main focus for me in that moment is just really like, Lord, is there anything that you want to say to us as a church as we're about to step into this new year? Is there anything that you're maybe wanting to highlight so we'll search our hearts, evaluate our lives uh, so that we can make the, you know, the necessary shifts that we need to make so we can step into the, you know, the new year with just, you know, renewed, renewed focus and renewed vision. And, uh, you know, as I've done that, you know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, there's a certain book of the Bible that I just keep coming back to, and that's the book of Haggai. So in an attempt to kind of get us, you know, for a lack of a better word, to help us recenter for this upcoming year, I, I want to start a short three-part series this morning out of the book of Haggai. So if you're taking notes, uh, the, the title of this series is simply this, it's What's the Problem? Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, What's the Problem? Notice I didn't say, What's your problem? That's originally what I wanted to entitle this, and my wife looked at me like I was stupid, and I thought maybe I need to change it. All right, so anyways, so uh, through, th- through this series, uh, you know, we're going to try our best to address, uh, you know, three common problems that I believe every person faces in life, and those three problems are this. It's the problem of being disinterested, really, in God, the problem of being discouraged, and lastly, the problem of being dissatisfied. I don't know about you, but I have found myself in all three of those places at one time or another over the last 20 years of walking with Jesus. So, you know, as we, as we dive into this book, what you're going to see is God not only confronts each and every one of these problems, but he also gives us divine solutions. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to simply unpack that. So to kind of set up today where we're going, uh, I, I want to take a second to mention something that I wish someone would have told me when I first got saved. And, and here's what that was. When I, when I first became a Christian and I started reading the Bible, I, I saw these words in Genesis chapter 1. You've read them surely yourselves. But it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So from, from those words, in the beginning, I just assumed that the Bible was organized in chronological order. Right, like after all, the last book is is Revelation, and obviously we know it talks about heaven. So I thought surely it goes from the beginning to end, just like any other book that I picked up. Uh, but how many of you guys know that that the more you read it, you find out that's not the case, right? So it took me a bit, but after a while, I learned that the book uh, that the books of the Bible are in order, just not chronologically like I had previously expected. And so rather they are intentionally, or they have been intentionally, put into order by literary genre. Literary genre. And here's what I mean by that. It is the Bible is organized or it's laid out in ten groupings. There's five groupings in the Old Testament, five groupings in the New Testament. And so to real quick, just to show you, so we're all operating from the same place. Uh, you know, starting with the Old Testament, the five groupings are this. It's the books of the law, the books of history, the books of poetry the uh, major prophets, and lastly, the minor prophets. And then when you go over to the New Testament, you see the other five groupings, which is really the life of Jesus. It's the Gospels, right? Church history, Paul's letters to the churches, Paul's letters to individuals, and then all the other letters that really weren't written by Paul, 
right? So, so that's, that's the ten groupings that we find out in the Bible. That's how it's laid out. So, so while our natural tendency is to try to read the Bible, you know, in this linear, straight-line fashion like we would any other book, we need to remember that the timelines that are found within each of those groupings are, are woven together, and they even overlap with other groupings. And let me explain what I mean by that. You know, most of the major minor prophets, for example, their, their ministries coincided with the books of history that are found in the Bible, Okay? Just like when you go over and you read uh, the writings of Paul, like if you see the letters to the churches or you see the letters to individuals, you find when you go over to the book of Acts and read about his three missionary journeys that are in the book of Acts, uh, basically you see this overlap. If I'm making sense, say, oh yeah. All right. So if we don't understand how all of this is woven together, the Bible can quickly become, you know, begin to feel like this big, uh, you know, how can I say this big balled up like a wad of yarn that's all tangled up and just gets super confusing. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up today. We said we're going to talk about Haggai, okay? If we make the mistake of reading the two chapters that make up the book of Haggai, like they're some island or they're isolated, separated from all the other books in the Bible, we're going to miss the larger lessons that God really wants us to grab here. In other words, we're going to miss the overarching context of what's found and what's happening in this story. So on that note, just give me, let me give you a brief example. Um, did you know that the recorded ministry of Haggai only lasts about four months? Okay, just four months. So there's no doubt that those four months, you know, uh, you know changed the course of history. Uh, but the reality is, is, man, they were really only a, a blip on the radar of a much longer timeline uh, that's deeply connected to other events, decades of events, that's found in other books of the Bible, such as uh, 2 Kings, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezra, Zechariah, Nehemiah, and the book of Esther. Like all of these books, just like the lives of the people in it, uh, they're once again, they, they divinely go together like these small pieces of puzzle that make up the bigger picture of what God was doing in that time. Amen? So with that in mind, what I want to do today is I want to do something I, I, I really never do, but let me, just, let me just shoot straight with you. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to do I'm going to be really honest why I'm going to do what I'm about to do. As I realize as God's people, we have a tendency to pick a verse here, pick a verse there, pick a verse here, pick a chapter there. And because we just pick and choose, at the end of the day, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're really biblically illiterate. We really don't know the whole story and how it goes together. And I'm not saying that to shame anybody. I'd put myself in that same category. And, and so what I want to do today is I want to take a significant amount of time to give you the historical background that precedes this book called Haggai. So basically, according to the Bible, in 586 B.C., the Babylonian army under the uh, leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, he sieged and he ultimately conquered Judah, okay? In doing so, he tore down and he burned the gates and the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He burned every person's house. It didn't matter if you were the king, if you were rich, you were poor. He burned every house to the ground. And then he began to plunder and he stole every treasure and every article of worship from Solomon's temple. And, and, and after he took everything, he said, you know what? He turned to his guys and said, look, destroy it. So they absolutely destroyed Solomon's temple. And if that wasn't enough devastation, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, ordered the chief priest and his staff, along with some of the king's friends and some of the uh, leaders in the city, he, he just, he ordered for all of them to be killed. 
And then to kind of top it off, he, he decided to round up all these Jews and he forced them to leave their homes. So why he basically led them back in captivity is what the Bible says, because he wanted them to become his servants. Now, it's important for us to know at that point that none of that caught God off guard. Right, like none of that caught God off guard. In fact, uh, you had basically Nebuchadnezzar kind of posted outside the city for quite a while, and you had these false prophets that kept telling the king, hey, look, he's not going to mess with you, he's not going to mess with you. And then Jeremiah stepped on the scene and said, nope, they're lying to you. Here's what God's saying. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar's going to do. And what he prophesied to the king is exactly what happened. You can read it in Jeremiah 27. So fast forward two chapters in the narrative, and, and basically we find that God's people have been led into captivity. They're in Babylon, and at that point, through a letter, Jeremiah sends a prophecy to God's people. And here's what he says in Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. It says, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. He is exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. He says, Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. There's a great nugget right there. Fast forward a few verses, he says this in verse 10. It says, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Somebody say 70 years. 70 years. It says, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days you will pray and I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your land. If I can maybe pause there for a second to reiterate the point I just made a few minutes ago. Isn't it funny how many people quote Jeremiah 29.11 and they don't even know the context of which it was written. That's the context which it was written. It was written to uh, people who were in captivity, who were basically servants to Nebuchadnezzar, people who had lost hope and thought life was over. Okay, now watch this. God comes and he prophesies and he says, look, I'm going to do good things. You're going to return. You're going to come back home. And, and you know what? That's exactly what happened. God's people remained in Babylon for almost 70 years. When I was at 70 years, some easy thing? No, it wasn't. You can actually read about uh, what the children of Israel went about in the book of Daniel, right? Daniel and the lion's den, shattered at me, shack and Abednego being thrown in the fire. All that happened during that time period. But in spite of all of that, guess what? God's word held true. God's people still prospered, and they still found a good life for themselves. Now, fast forward in the story, just as God said it would, almost 70 years later, he raised up another king named Cyrus of the Persian Empire to come in to conquer Babylon. And that's when everything changed. Somebody say everything changed. Here's how it changed. In Ezra chapter 1, notice how I'm bouncing around to different books. Because why? Once again, they're interwoven. It says this, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. It's what we just read about chapter 29. It says, He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation writing and to send it through his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. What a statement. 
He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. It says, and may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, watch this, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. I don't want you to miss this because I want you to see how awesome this is and what God is really doing. Here is Cyrus the Great, the most influential, most powerful man on the planet during this time. And guess what? This guy didn't serve God. He wasn't what we call a follower of Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim. He didn't follow God. He he had his own set of gods. He wasn't interested in the gods of the Israelites. But somehow this man heard about the prophecy that was given to Jeremiah 67 years prior to him, uh, him conquering Babylon. And when he heard that prophecy, he was so struck at the heart by God He not only willingly released the people he had control over, but he decided to bless them on their journey by doing what? By taking up a love offering for them before they left. He got churchified. Right? So listen, if that wasn't enough, he decided to chip in on the offering too by giving back all of the articles. It was literally over 5,400 articles that were made of gold, of silver, of bronze, and brass that Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple. He said, you know what? I'm going to give it back. Now, listen, I don't know if you've ever seen a miracle, but that's a miracle. Like, for God to actually reach into the heart of a man that didn't even have a clue who he was and said, you know what, here's what needs to happen, and you're going to bless the people to do it. Amen? Amen. Wish some of that happened in Washington. Hallelujah. All right, here we go. All right, so here's, here's when the story gets even more interesting to me. This is my opinion. While there's no doubt that many of God's people, for the sake of hope, had, you know, held on to this promise that God gave them through Jeremiah that, man, if we can just make it through 70 years, we get to go back home. The the reality is, is guess what? For the past six and a half decades, the Jewish people had uh, become pretty much well entrenched in the Babylonian turned Persian Empire. In other words, this now was home for them, right? Think about it for a moment. Sixty plus years They had heeded Jeremiah's words. They built homes, they planted vineyards, they started businesses, and they grew their families. Like, I have been here for seven years, not 60, and already feel that way. It's home. Am I making sense? So for 60 plus years, these guys not only learned a different language and a different culture, man, they might have even been saying dooryard. I don't even know. But, but listen, they had embraced a, a new way of life, right? That's what happened. So much so that, that as they had children, then grandchildren, there was a whole other generation of Jewish people that had come about that had never even stepped foot in Judah. They'd never even seen Solomon's temple before, right? So, so sure, they like probably heard about it, but, but as far as in their own you know, context and their own experience, they, they didn't really know what it meant to, to live in Judah or to, to worship in the temple. They didn't get it, right? But, but yet here they are. God had moved miraculously on their behalf by turning the heart of a king. They now had this green light to return home. Once again, this, this home was the promised land that God gave them, right? So God had miraculously removed every obstacle that was standing in the way. In other words, the door was open. The ball was in their court. And so the question here is this, is what was hanging in the air. Cyrus sent out this proclamation. Now it was to the, basically the people of God, what are you going to do about it? 
With that in mind, I want to pause for a second, and hopefully this makes sense, because in my opinion, the situation that the Israelites found themselves in isn't all that different from situations we find ourselves in life. And here's what I mean by that. is from the moment that you and I said yes to Jesus, that we'll follow you, uh, we entered into a life that is filled with what could only be uh, you know, described as divine intersections where God from time to time interrupts our lives by his voice. Now, it isn't important how he chooses to speak, if it's through his word, if it's through a sermon, if it's through a conversation, or if it's through a still small voice. What is important is that when God speaks, how do we respond? You see, every time we encounter one of these divine intersections, God, just like he was doing with the Israelites, he is giving us a choice to either stay where we have grown comfortable because we all understand what it means to be comfortable, right? Or to step out in faith in an area that's completely unknown to us. Now, I, I, want, I want you to know something today, and this is really important if you want to walk with Jesus, is that, that it really doesn't matter, you know, who you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how spiritually mature you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. Listen, when God calls or when God speaks and gives you a new assignment, you can rest assured that every new thing from God has an element of the unknown attached to it. And anytime there's something that's unknown for us in our human nature, it can be pretty doggone intimidating. Am I right with that? Yes. And, and so, listen, the next time you find yourself, because if you're praying and if you're reading the Bible, when the next time, because you're going to have one, you find yourself in those divine intersections, please remember what I'm saying. Don't get stuck. Okay? I've met so many Christians over the year, that divine intersection, in other words, their passion for God, a divine intersection comes, and because they love the Babylonian life that they created, they refuse to take another step forward in God. Right? They're, 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 how can I say this? They've just grown so comfortable, they don't want to change. Somebody say change. And then they wonder, listen, I meet with them all the time. Those are the people that are frustrated and disappointed in their walk with God. Don't get stuck. Turn to your neighbor and help him out and say, don't get stuck. <laughs> Amen. So here's what I want you to do. Every next time you find yourself in that divine intersection, man, please remember that you don't have to be afraid to step out in faith. You can trust the God who spoke to you, and you can trust that he'll do what he said he'll do, and you can trust that he'll do it through you if you let him. Amen? So going back to the Israelites, listen, the Bible doesn't tell us how many of them decided to remain in Babylon, but it does say this, that at that time, at that divine intersection, that 50,000 people looked around and said, you know what? I'm in. That 50,000 people said, you know what? We're going to return to our homeland with one single purpose in mind, and we're going to do what God said, we're going to rebuild the temple. So if you can imagine with me for a moment what it must have looked like to see 50,000 people roll out of Babylon literally with thousands of horses and mules and camels and donkeys, and they begin to make the 1,000-mile trek from Babylon to Jerusalem. Like, what, what kind of crazy picture would that look like, right? So, so here, here they were, individually and collectively, they had made the decision to walk away from the security and the comfort of their homes, their businesses, maybe uh, you know, a good paycheck, whatever, the relationships, all in response to a single word from God. And that was to do what? Return, rebuild, and restore. That's what God wanted them to do. So, so if you can, in your, in your mind, imagine with me for a moment. 65, 66, 67 years prior, they were conquered 
They were basically led out of their, their hometown, right? Their heads are down. They're discouraged. They're defeated. They're broken. They got no hope. But now here they are. God speaks, right? And now they have this fresh hope and this fresh vision for their future. Not only for their future, their kids' future, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren's future. Their heads up higher. Y'all seeing this? See, it's amazing to me, and if you look at not only here, but our own lives, man, the reality is, is a single word from God can change everything. Amen? A single word can set people free. A single word can heal people's hearts. A single word can get somebody saved. A single word from God can change it all. Amen? So, listen, when we fast forward in the story, we discover that these 50,000 brave souls, man, they rolled into Jerusalem. There wasn't, you know, when they did, there wasn't some massive crowd there waiting on them. You know, they weren't holding up welcome home banners. There was no party. There was no celebration waiting for them. There wasn't a single warm bed. There wasn't even a banquet full of table, banquet table full of food, you know, like fried chicken. Glory to God. Anyways, it wasn't there, right? The only thing they saw in front of them was this. It was like this heartbreaking picture of everything they knew before. The places they lived, the places they played when they were kids, the places they worked, the place they worshipped. Every bit of it was in desolation. It was in ruins. And here's what I love about these people in this moment because it says a lot about them. Like, I think we can't forget about this. They saw all of that, yet they didn't lose heart. They were so determined from a word from God to go do this. It's incredible. So, so what did these guys do? If you read the Bible and you actually see in, in Ezra, you'll see that the, the first order of business that they knew that needed to be done in this difficult situation is they needed to build an altar. And so that's what they did. They, they built an altar and they made sacrifice. In doing so, this is super important, they restored worship in the city. Because why? Because if you can restore worship in a place, guess what? God's presence will begin to come. And God's presence will come. It changes everything. There's an atmosphere of heaven that is available here on this earth if we're willing to reach out and grab it. Amen? Amen. So listen, after this, they pushed aside their natural desire for comfort and they began working to rebuild the foundation of the temple. So two years later, they finished the foundation and maybe we'll go more into that next week. But, but I know that, that you go, okay, two years, dude, that's all you got was the foundation. But you got to remember, they didn't have excavators. They didn't have bulldozers. They didn't, they didn't have anything like what we have today. So when you look at it, you go, man, that's actually a pretty incredible feat that these guys accomplished in two years years okay now watch this that was phase one foundation was built now it was time to step into phase two so they could begin to rebuild the walls and, and, the, and the temple you know so they could restore the place of worship uh, but but in the process of stepping into phase two it's very clear that there was something that they didn't account for something that they didn't expect that I'm hoping that you and I uh, grab a hold of today and that was this is that the neighboring Samaritans showed up to offer their help in rebuilding the temple. Now, I think from our natural minds, we go, you know, put, I'll put it this way. You know, if, if, we're, if we're moving and we got two guys helping us load the truck, when 10 more roll in, we get pretty excited. Hallelujah, right? So, so you would think, man, this was a reason to rejoice. But the only problem was, is that's not what God told them to do. 
God's word wasn't, hey, go over there and partner with the Samaritans and rebuild this thing. No, God said, you go and you do it. In fact, if you study the history between Samaritans and Jews, you understand why this wasn't going to work anyways. It was a bad working relationship. So the, the, the Israelites simply said this. They said, no thanks, and they turned them away. Watch this. That little bit of rejection, no thanks, didn't settle too well with the Samaritans. So they decided to... Uh, instead do everything they could to use all of their energy from that point on to discourage, to trouble, and to dissuade the Jews from completing the project. And if you read the Bible, you'll find that in a relatively short period of time, they succeeded in frustrating the Jews so much that the plans of rebuilding the temple got put on hold. All right, you with me? I know this is a lot. And if you're a history person, you're like, this is awesome. If you're not, you're like, oh God, help me. Hang in there, okay? So two years, two short years into why God changed the heart of the king, two years into why people gave an incredible offering, two years in why they stepped out in faith, and two years into why God had sent them back in the first place, uh, things had come to a dead standstill. Screeching halt. Here's what I want us to grab a hold of here, please, just to take away from today. For whatever reason, they felt like it was easier to quit on the promise of God than it was to stand their ground and fight against the enemy who was posing against them. Are you hear me? Why do I tell you that? Because over the past 20 plus years of walking with Jesus, I have seen that rerun play over more times than I would like to admit. That there's people who hear from God opposition comes and instead of standing their ground through spiritual warfare by praying the word of God and declaring the word of God and having faith and trusting God they quit just like these people and I want you to know that 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 there's a problem we got to like we, we need some endurance amen so so all I can say is is I, I guess in all their excitement and leaving Babylon, right, with all that gold and silver, like all that stuff, man, the hype of the moment, man, they failed to realize that no promise, that no calling, that no God-given assignment ever comes without opposition. If you're in this room today and you're like, man, I want to do something for God, get ready, because opposition's on the way. Great place to say Amen. Please listen, church. Every promise from God will sooner than later attract opposition from the enemy. Every promise will attract the enemy. So, listen, I think we need to embrace the fact that, that the enemy isn't just going to sit idly by, twiddling his thumbs as, as you and I joyfully go about what God's called us to do. Like, on the contrary, like the Samaritans, man, he's going to try his best to stir up as many issues He's going to try to discourage us, taunt us, frustrate us until we are tempted to quit on our purpose. Okay, but, but I'm trying to tell you today, man, listen, we can't quit. There's too much at stake. Like e even in this, okay, even small things like this. Why do I need to pray today? Because it makes a difference. Why do I need to worship today? Because it makes a difference, right? Why do I need a fast and stand in for my city? Because it makes a difference. You can go on down the line. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is this, is man, our city needs us. 
It needs us to stand in our place and to go, God sent us here to do this, and we're going to do it. We're not going to lose heart. We're not going to let everything that we're hearing on the news and everything that's around us, all the bad stuff, all the negative stuff, we're not going to let all of that persuade us to stop doing what God's called us to do. We've got to have faith. Amen? Amen. So listen, I just want to tell you this today, and we'll move on, it is... Please don't be fooled into believing that just because, you know, God's with you, that things are going to become easy. Okay? So, so once again, if, if you know the Bible, you'll know what these names mean. But, but in this life, man, we're always going to have our fair share of detractors who echo the Goliaths, the Sambalats, the Tobias, and Samaritans of the past. Man, there's always going to be storms that are trying to blow you and I off course. There's always going to be seasons that are full of trials and persecutions. Uh, but once again, we need to remember what Jesus said. Two things. The first one is this, in John 16. He says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Do you all realize that there's a place in Jesus that it doesn't matter what all is happening, you can still be in peace? Like all hell could be breaking loose around you and you can still be in peace. Because why? Because you're in the secret place. Right? This says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus promised it right there. But he said this, but take heart. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Right? Because I have overcome the world. See, there's this time where we need to remember not only that, but understand what Jesus said through John when he said, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We need to remember that. Like the Israelites needed to know that the God, the Lord of the heavens armies, he used that title for a reason, to show I'm greater than the enemy. We need to remember that. Amen? So I would love to sit in here today and tell you that all these, you know, 50,000 Jews, man, they grabbed a hold of those truths and they kept on pressing in, but they didn't, right? Opposition escalated to a level that they thought was too much, and they decided to take out their card and clock out on God. I'm taking a break. Forget this mess, right? And so in that moment when they clocked out, they, they turned their attention away from everything that they had been doing so passionately, uh, you know, and energetically for God. And then they turned their attention to their own needs and their own wants and their own desires. So watch this. In a relative short period of time, they turned from being a God-focused people to being a self-focused people. Their priorities changed, it shifted. And in doing so, it not only caused their original priority of rebuilding God's temple to stall out, but it also caused it to take, watch this, a backseat to everything else in life. Like literally, it went from the front to the back like that. That's scary. So while I think this may be hard for us to wrap our heads around, the single decision, the single shift in their priorities actually caused them to delay their work on the temple, not for a month, not for a year, not for five years. But when you read the scripture, you find out they had actually stalled out for 16 years. 16 years. They, they finished the foundation too, and now 16 years later, they hadn't done a thing. Now, in my opinion, I don't believe they're that different from a lot of God's people today. Let me tell you why I say this. I'm not trying to slam anybody. It's just reality. It is this, is that, that they knew exactly what God wanted from them. God had spoken. They knew God had spoken. They knew what God wanted from them. They just became, because of opposition, because of discouragement, they became too distracted and ultimately too disinterested to do it. Somebody say disinterested. If you remember a while ago, we said that's the first problem that Haggai confronted. Okay? So here's what disinterested means. We're going to shift gears here a little bit. Disinterested means not having the mind or feelings to engage. 
not having the mind or the feelings to engage. If I could put this definition in the context of what we've been reading, at one time these 50,000 people were fully invested. Opposition arose, now they're no longer wanting to be involved. Okay? They were wholeheartedly sold out for it. Opposition rose, and they moved on from the temple in their hearts. Okay? They chose to turn their attention elsewhere. Now, on that note, let me ask if that just sounds familiar to anyone in this room. Like, have you ever been there? Okay? Like, God maybe spoke something to you in the past, but, but when things didn't go the way you expected... Right? You just moved on. Like, I, I think a lot of times that we get hung up on that as believers. We, we know the first move in God, and then we assume the second, third, and fourth. And then when the second, third, and fourth don't pan out like we think it is, or expected, uh, we get sideways with Jesus and sideways in life. And the problem is, is God never said that. We assume things. So be very careful in always trying to define what God says for you. Okay? Please, okay? So, it's this, is that, like, man, it's like God speaks, we get engaged, but, man, issues rise, right? And so, now we move on, man, we're just not wanting to be even involved anymore. Like, our heart goes elsewhere. We become uh, preoccupied with lesser things. Am I making sense? So, so how many of you know that just like those 50,000 people, when this happens in the heart of any believer, my heart, your heart, any believer, man, it's a problem. Like, it's a problem, right? So, so with all that said, let me just ask a question here. How do we know if we've become disinterested in what God has called us to do? How do we know? I want to ask you a series of questions. I just want you maybe to be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell anybody this between you and Jesus, okay? But ask yourself, man... Are we actively staying the course in our actions? Are we consistently standing our ground in prayer? Are we willingly making the necessary sacrifices? Are we demonstrating endurance and perseverance? Do we stand strong when we're tempted to compromise? Are we consistently hopping in and serving where we are needed? I think if the answer is yes to those kind of questions, probably a whole lot more just like them, then the answer is, is, man, we're very interested in what God's doing and we're good, okay? But on the other hand, I think if we slide into a repetition or repetitive pattern of apathy where we are approaching and viewing what God speaks to us, uh, maybe currently or in the past, with some kind of casual, nonchalant, unconcerned, or complacent attitude, then, man, we can rest assured we've landed in the same spot as those Israelites and our hearts have become disinterested in God, in other words, let me say it this way. When God speaks to you, do you get excited or do you go, huh, okay. Tells you where you're at. Amen? If you're passionate about what God's doing in the earth today, you're good. If you're clueless, it's probably because you're disinterested. Am I making sense? So I think it's a problem because of this. When we begin to neglect God's voice or neglect his work, neglect what he's doing, it's an indicator that we're actually neglecting God himself. Because I don't think anybody can actively be pursuing God with all their heart and neglect what he's doing. I think when you actively pursue God, you want to be a part of what he's doing. Amen? 
so I think we can all agree, just looking at this, that man, that surely there was a problem here in the Israelites, and if our hearts are that way, there's a problem too. And the problem typically lies in this. This when our priorities become more important than God's priority. At that point, we become disinterested. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Now we're going to start the book of Haggai. <laughs> All right. I will try to go quickly, okay? So it was at that point in the history of God's people that God had seen enough, okay? After 16 years of stalled out, self-focused, apathy, God finally said enough's enough, and he decided to address the first problem, which was of disinterest, through the prophet Haggai. And here's where we pick up the story. Haggai chapter 1. It says, On August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. It says, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, The time. Somebody say the time. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So obviously, at that point, we can see that God was hearing what they were saying. That he was hearing what was maybe even being murmured on the inside of them. It's really just excuses. But, but, but here's, here's the other thing I want us to notice. Is that if the people were saying that, it means that they knew that they weren't in the right track. They weren't in the right place. They knew that. It's just no different than you and me. We know when we're on it and when we're not. Can I get a witness? All right, so it says this. It says, then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. In, in other words, put it in my own language. Is, uh, then if the time isn't right, why are you building and living in luxurious homes while my house lies in ruins? If it's not a good time to build, dude, why are you building your own house? Right? So, so clearly what happened is all that vision that they once carried to rebuild the temple all that had been replaced by a desire to reclaim what they willingly walked away from in Babylon. Right? They walked away from nice homes, businesses, vineyards, relationships, etc. They had traded their interests. They traded their priorities. We were gung-ho for this. It didn't work out the way we thought. Now we're gung-ho about our own stuff. Preach, preacher. All right. So, so here's what we can't misunderstand is that it wasn't that God was opposed to them having nice homes and having businesses and vineyards and all that stuff. What, what God was, was having beef with was simply this, is that they were putting all those things before him, right? And not, once again, for a week, not for a month, not for, no, no, for 16 years, and there was no sign of, the, of it stopping. That's why God stepped in. In other words, they weren't making the necessary changes, even though they felt convicted by it. They just kept going, so God said, I got to say something again. And so what was the first part of the solution God ordered for their lack of interest? The first thing God said through the prophet Haggai is he asked people to do this, to consider what they had done, to consider what they had done. Somebody say consider. In other words, God wanted them to consider what they had done versus what they should have been doing. He wanted them to own up to the fact that they had become disinterested in his house by becoming so preoccupied with their own houses. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this portion of scripture, I think it's kind of funny how... Uh, they responded like so many of us do when we're called on the carpet, our hands caught in the cookie jar. What, what did they do? They, they, they immediately began to make excuses for their lack of obedience. I know you've never done that. Okay? What, what did they say? Let's look at it again. 
we didn't think the time had come yet to start working again or to build again. We didn't think the time had come. Now, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but it does to me, and, and, and here's why. It's like, how many times has God told us to do something or addressed an area in our lives of what he would like to change? And we, like the Jewish people who were, those 50,000 who were in Babylon, man, we jump in with great energy. But once again, the moment opposition comes or, or maybe we get distracted by the busyness of our schedules or we get preoccupied with what we want to do or maybe we just get bored, things stall out. Right? And, and in the back of our minds, we know what's going on, so we begin to tell ourselves, that's nah, okay, maybe next year. Maybe when things slow down a bit, whew, I'm really busy right now. Maybe when the kids get out of school, you know, it's kind of cold outside, maybe when it warms up a little bit. Maybe it's not, and we get really spiritual, because we do this, Christians, it's not the spiritual right season at the moment. God, God said that, but he wants it for five seasons from now. He, he was just let me, give me a heads up. Whatever, dude. Okay, and so what happens is, is slowly but surely, our initial response of excitement wanes, and we end up becoming disinterested in the very thing we were once excited about hearing, right? And so what happens is, is because when we become disinterested, we delay ourselves like the 50,000. We hold ourselves up like the 50,000 for moving forward in God. And the reality is this, as we've all done in this room. Can I hear an oh yeah? yeah. We've all done it, okay? So, so... I think this, if you know, coming from like a takeaway, a lesson from this, from this story, is that if you and I want to find a solution to our problem of being disinterested, then like the Israelites, it's time for us to take responsibility and own it. Notice that they made excuses, but they could have blamed the Samaritans, right? Like, like everybody please look at me real quick. There's not a single person in this room that can't blame something or someone else for not doing what God's called you to do. It's easy to blame people, okay? But at some point, man, if we're going to move forward in Jesus, we got to go, you know what? God, that's on me. That one's on me. Lord, I disobeyed. Lord, I got distracted. Lord, I, I cared for other things more than I did for that. Lord, I sinned. Lord, whatever word you need to use, at the end of the day, man, you got to take ownership if you want to move forward in God. Amen? Amen. So before we press on here, I want to ask, man, is there any area where you're currently making excuses and why you're not obeying God? God spoke, and you didn't budge. Are you making an excuse? What are the excuses you're making of why you're not obeying God? Now, let's watch how the Lord responded to these guys. Let's pick it up in verse 5. It says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Look at yourself. It said, you've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Or as it says in the New King James Version, consider your ways. So the second part of the solution that God had for his people is he wanted them to consider the results they were getting. Have you ever done that? Have you ever stopped and actually considered the results that you're getting in life and wondered maybe why you're not getting what you think you should get? Right? 
So what God is saying here, he's saying this basically to these guys. Look around, evaluate your life for a moment. Can you see what your self-focused approach in life has gotten you so far? And clearly by what he just said, it wasn't much. Now, now here's, here's what's super sobering to me about this, is that these guys at this moment had to admit that they got better results when they were in captivity in Babylon than they were getting now as free people in the, in the place that was their inheritance, the promised land. That literally God was blessing them more in captivity than he was blessing them currently. Why? It's because they were obedient to what Jeremiah said to do those things there, but it wasn't. It was notice that God will say things to you different in different seasons. So if you keep trying to revert back to an old season, it's not about that. You need to hear what God's saying in this season and do it. Amen? So to me, it seems like these guys were learned the hard way. And the hard way was this, is that they didn't really get it, that if you put off obedience, man, uh, you, you know, really, things aren't going to go your way. And, and so to God's point here, he basically said, look, guys, you're stuck in this pattern of doing all these things. Your harvest is pitiful. Your refrigerators are empty. Your clothes, man, they got holes in. They're wearing out. Your bank account, man, it's practically empty. You keep having overcharges, right? Man, they were struggling. And there was, you know, just, they were just struggling life. Now, here's one nugget that I want you to hear today, maybe if you hear nothing else, okay? It's really simple. Because they had misplaced priorities, they were being robbed of the God's blessing. Say it again. Because they had misplaced priorities, they were being robbed of God's blessing. Yes? Please hear that. Here's what God said about that, and we'll add a little bit more meat and we'll move on. He said this in verse 9. He said this. He said, you hope for rich harvests, but they were poor. He says, and when you brought your harvest home, watch this, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, because you're disobeying. He says, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields. Get that? I have called for a drought in your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and the olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. We don't talk about that side of God that often, do we? Now, watch this. Because I, I don't want us to miss this. Because they have become disinterested in honoring God and doing what God called them to do, they literally opened themselves up to be opposed by God. Remember what the Bible tells us in James. It says God opposes the what? The proud, the arrogant, right? But he gives grace to the humble. And, and so God was actually in this point because of their disobedience. He was working against them and not for them. Truthfully, what he was doing, and we don't like to use this word in the church, but he was judging them. That's what was happening. So before we move on, I just, I just kind of want to ask this question to you real quick. Who has been the first priority over the past you know, year consistently? Has it been you or God? I'm not asking if you hit a high moment once or twice last year. I'm asking consistently, who was the first priority in your life? Was it you or was it God? Whose interest did you pursue more? Men? Here's the third and the last important part of the solution is this. As God told him this, he, he said, consider what you should do now. Somebody say now. Now, now. okay? So, so it's really important that we understand that, that most of us are guilty in this room of the first two, but what do we do now? 
What do we do now? Okay, that, that's, what, that's what's really important in the room at the moment. So we consider what we've done. We consider what we've gotten from what we've done. Now the next step is, is, is guess what? We, we need to find out what God is saying and we need to obey it. And, and I love this part of the story because this, because it reveals that God doesn't just like rebuke them, call them on the carpet, and leave them exposed and then make them a mockery. It, it, that, like the love of God is still here, right? So, so he's still holy, but he's still, right? He's still holy and righteous, but he's still a God of love and mercy and grace. And, and so what does he do? He gives them an action step to move forward. And, and by doing so, he brings them full circle back to the very reason that he told them to leave Babylon in the first place. And that was to go rebuild the temple. Let's look at it together, verse 7 and 8. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up into the hills. That's the action step. Go up into the hills. And bring down timber. In other words, go cut some trees and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. In other words, if you do what I say, man, I'll find pleasure in it. I'll be honored and glorified. And, and, and guess what? It'll change things. So how did they respond? We know that they responded to the solution of their problem uh, in this way. It says in verse 12, Then Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. They obeyed. Somebody say obeyed. It says, When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. Watch this. Don't miss this. God says, I know you've been running for 16 years doing your own thing, but hey, I want to remind you something. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I know you've forgotten me. I know you got disinterested, but I haven't forgot what I told you. See, to me, if, if, the, if this portion of Scripture says anything really about God, it says this, is that he remembers what he says. Right? That in other words, he may have spoke to you, you know, five years ago. He may have spoke to you 10 years ago. It may have been 25 years ago. And you've long put it on the shelf, forgot about it. In fact, it's, it's, it's you know, under a big old massive thing of just massive clutter in your life. But guess what? God still hasn't forgotten it's there. And so what he wants to do maybe this morning for you is to remind you of what he said to kind of get you back on track. Because here's something that I've learned about God is that a lot of times when we put ourselves in position, we're like, God, I really want to hear from you. God, what are you saying this season? What do you want to do now? A lot of times the reason God is silent, we don't hear anything, is because there's still something over there that we haven't done yet. Until we do that, it can't move us on to the next thing. Like so often we want to skip, you know, whatever. We want to go, okay, cool, you said that. Now I'm going to skip, the, you know, two, three, and four and get to five. It just doesn't work that way. We got to obey so we can move forward. Amen? So it says this in verse 14. It says, when God said, I'm with you, once again, here comes a single word from God. I'm with you. The Lord sparked the enthusiasm it says, stirred up the spirit in other translations of Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the whole remnant of God's people. In other words, they, they had been sitting here. It wasn't so much that they were backslidden. Man, they just, they just needed leadership. <laughs> they just needed God to say, hey, I'm with you. Let's go. It says, they began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's army, on September the 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. So if you look at from the beginning where we started, 23 days later, God spoke, 23 days later, the problem was solved. Where they, were, where they were disinterested, they were now interested, and they were now doing what God called them to do. Now, how did they do that? Somebody say obedience. Somebody say obedience. Come on, hang with me. We're okay. 
Somebody say obedience. obedience. Yeah. Listen, it was through their obedience they did a few things. They took responsibility once again for their actions. They put their priorities back in order. God reminded them of his covenant, I'm with you. And last, guess what? His blessing returned to their lives. That's key. See, there's something so, so amazing about God. You, you know, we're, we are truthfully, we're prone to wonder. I hate that, but it's true, right? And so when we say yes to God, we repent, we say yes to God. It's like, here it is in his grace. He calls us by name. We get back on track, then it launches, now God can bless us again. Unfortunately, we tend to get caught up in the blessings, and we wonder. <laughs> and then we, he has calls by name, and we repent. We hit the same cycle that the Israelites took. And, and so, anyways, the, the best thing is to stay out of the cycle, amen, just stay with Jesus. All right. All right, so listen, with those points in mind, I got, I got a question for you, okay? Is this, we've already asked, let me say it this way. Are we making excuses in regard to what God's called us to do, right? Um, basically, has God or we been the first priority? And the last thing I want to ask you is really, as you hear all this, what is God saying to you? Because my prayer today and my goal today is definitely not to preach some fancy message. It's not. I, this is so, like, I'm like, okay, God, this isn't the way I would want to do this. But, but. Here it is, okay? So, so, God, you got to speak between the lines. So what's he saying to you? And if he's speaking something to you, the next question is, like we saw in the third point, is what are you going to do about it? What's your action step? Because God, once again, will not just expose you, but he'll now tell you what to do so you can move forward and get in his blessings. Amen? Amen. So, so listen, today, if I can remind you, what's he saying? And the second question is this is what are you going to do about it? Because once again, I don't believe that God uh, exposes a problem without providing a solution. Okay? So for us in this room, it's obviously not, we're, we're not going back somewhere to rebuild a temple, uh, but, but I think we got to remember that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so what is God wanting to do in our temple, our lives, in our marriages, in our kids' lives, our finances, our health, our relationship, just trying to, here it is in every area of our lives. What, what is he maybe trying to rebuild, if you will, to get it back on track with him? One of my favorite parts about the book of Haggai is it's really all about uh, priorities and putting God first. And, and it's easy to go, well, that's over 2,000 years ago, like 25, 26, 2,700 years ago that was written. But if you remember, even when Jesus stepped on the scene, one of the first things he said was this, seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's an old covenant truth, and it's a new covenant truth that we've got to put him first. Amen? Amen. Can you stand to your feet, please? Yeah, if you can, just close your eyes. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I make room for you in this moment. Say this. Say, Jesus, is there anything I need to see today? Is there anything you want to remind me of? say this. Say, Jesus, I hear you. Now what do you want me to do? 
Now the key thing to remember is this, is if, you're, if you heard something, of maybe some of you be reminded of what you need to do from what we talked about today. Man, make note, opposition's gonna come and you'll have a choice again to either bury it or to fight and stand your ground and keep moving forward. God won't make you do anything. It's up to you. Amen. So, Father, I thank you today for every person that's in this room. Lord, I thank you for their love and their passion and their desire to serve you. Jesus, I thank you that there's a yes in their heart to do your will. And Lord, today, if we have somehow lost sight or become disinterested in something that you've spoken to us or something that you held dear, a piece of your plan and your purpose for our lives, Lord, I'm asking today, God, that that thing would be so loud and so clear in our spirits that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt what you're saying. And Father, I thank you, God, that you love us so much not to leave us exposed like we talked about earlier. But God, you're a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of second, third, and fourth, and fifth chances. And so, Lord, would you show us again what we need to do? And more than likely, it's just to do what the first thing was. So, Lord, I'm asking God today for my brothers and sisters and even myself, God, that you would give us the perseverance, the endurance, the spiritual strength, the spiritual fortitude, the loyalty and the commitment to you that we need to keep pressing in and pressing forward to do what you called us to do. Father, when things come that try to draw our attention away, Father, help us to stay focused. Father, when things come to try to discourage us, Father, help us to plug our ears so we don't hear it. God, in fact, we pray that when the enemy begins to taunt us, that your word and your voice would be so loud that it would overpower the enemy. Let me say something I didn't say last service. If you you notice in the scripture, it's very obvious that God is serious about us finishing what he tells us to do. So Lord, if there's anybody in here that's kind of 30%ed it, 60%ed it, 80%ed it, 99.9%ed it, if we almost finished, but Lord haven't finished it, God, would you remind us again so we can finish well. You're a God of a finishing work. And so, Lord, help us to resemble you and be like you and to actually be people that can go the distance. So, Lord, today I bless your people. God, to be who you called them to be. God, I thank you that there's no devil in hell that's greater than you. So, God, thank you for covering us. Thank you for keeping us. God, as we declared earlier, you are our provider. You are our protector. God, you're with us every step that we make. God, that's not a song we sing. That's truth that we believe. And so, Lord, thank you today for just helping us to move forward in you and do everything you called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless. Thank you.